Coming up, we're talking Halloween traditions and spooky tunes. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. We also have partner stations, and today's episode is from one of those partners, Haunt Topic Radio. This is the 2022 Halloween special from Haunt Topic Radio, and well, I'm just going to let Brian explain the rest of it. Enjoy. Welcome to Haunt Topic Radio, the podcast for haunters by haunters. Headless Horseman, A Time of Shadows. something that you do sitting alone in your basement, although it could start there, you know, and mm-hmm. if you're building things, but it's something that you do with a lot of other people and everybody's facing the same direction. And like theater, you do it till it's done. thing that's always that people always say about Halloween is that it's dying it's dying this is the end of Halloween you know after 9-11 it was too dangerous to go out it's the end of Halloween after the Tylenol killings in Chicago oh let's shut it down you know it's dangerous we can't do it and every time Halloween comes back
already? Where does the time go? These podcasts just keep flying by. In this podcast episode, we get Leslie Bannatine on. I call her the Queen of Halloween, but just Google Leslie Bannatine and you will see what I mean. She has written many books on Halloween, the history of Halloween, haunted houses, poems about Halloween. She's been featured on the History Channel. And we talk Halloween traditions, how Halloween got started, things she likes to do on Halloween. We talk haunted houses, haunted attractions, and we throw a bunch of spooky tunes in the mix to get you in the Halloween spirit. You can find all of her stuff at iSkullHalloween.com. If you're interested, you can always go to Amazon and you can find her books there. You can also buy them on her website. We hope you're having a great October, that you're taking advantage of the things in your local community. Pay attention to those Facebook events, those flyers, those pumpkin fests, those corn mazes, October fests, the crisper weather if you live in one of those states. Enjoy October because it's almost over. We want to wish you a happy Halloween. We were just talking about you and we hadn't had, I think the last episode that we had you on was about 10 years ago. Oh my God. Like, Halloween Nation. Yeah. It came out yeah. in 2011. Yep. So that was about right. Yeah. 10 years ago. So the reason we got you on because we're doing a Halloween episode, I'm going to uh, throw some Halloween music in this podcast episode for October, going to have your interview in there. And I was like, well, who else better to talk about Halloween? So... So let's talk a little bit about your past stuff. Um, like we interviewed you for Halloween Nation, which kind of covers the behind the scenes of haunted attractions and and home haunts and stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. All 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 aspects of Halloween, from people who make pumpkin beer to pumpkin carvers to haunt actors to um tricksters and everything witches ghosts ghost hunters it was just trying to get i was trying to wrap my hands around the whole halloween scene at at the moment and try to take a picture of it and mostly like who are these people and what makes them do the things that they do so you know like what makes you start a haunted house or a haunted attraction in canada where you have to pour your entire life into it for many 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 years so it was um, trying to get at why people did the things that they did. So what kind of, when you were doing that book and that research, what are some thing, things that surprised you going into it? Well, I would say, first of all, the, the amount of passion that Halloween people have for their projects is um, kind of astonishing. And, and maybe that's true in other things. I mean, I, I have some experience in theater and yes, you can find that kind of passion in theater, but it's related to... Um, you know, it's related to a role and to doing something together and to having having this this group that puts forth this production. And I found a lot of haunted attractions. There was that same aesthetic is that people people what people loved about it was the other people that were doing it. So it's not something Halloween's not something that you do sitting alone in your basement, although it could start there. <laughs> Oh, and mm-hmm. if you're building things, but it's something that you do with a lot of other people and everybody's facing the same direction. And like theater, you do it till it's done. 
So I'm sure both of you have been up past midnight, one, two in the morning doing things that need to be done because it's it's just not a nine to five job. It's a it's something more than that. And I also it, felt like the depth of connection people had to Halloween or it's the holiday, but it's also the feeling about the holiday so that people, uh, I interviewed a lot of people who tattooed Halloween things on their bodies because that was how they saw themselves. And that's how, that was the part that was indelible that was never going to change in their lives. I mean, a tattoo is kind of a, a forever thing. <laughs> right. Yep. And you just don't see an Easter tattoo. You know, you don't see, you don't see that. You just see Halloween tattoos because it's, it's, it's a kind of feeling about that night and who you are. And it had something to do with rebellion, but also something to do with creativity and magic sometimes. So it, it was, it was fascinating. Yeah. That's main reason I got into Halloween because or haunted attractions. I didn't really, I attended them as when I was a kid, but I didn't. I didn't put two and two together that I actually could work on one or be behind one. And I had, I was the little, you know, the little nerd kid, you know, I watched, you know, I read the man magazines and I was always that, <laughs> that weirdo, you know? And so that kind of fit me in a box. And then I loved magic. I loved horror movies. I loved theater. Uh, so all that stuff just kind of came together. And as you were talking about, you know, being a production, it is almost like a production because if you're, if everybody's not gelling together or someone's having an off night or the manager's mad or you have this dispute over here with a bunch of actors, you can throw your whole show off because that kind of affects <clears throat> all right. your actors behind the scenes too. So it, uh, it is like a production. It is. And there's a vibe and every night is different which is why actors probably haunt actors probably love it so much. Every night is different. You don't know <clears throat> what the feeling is going into that house that night. You know, like you say, there could be drama and that could mean one thing, or it could be just like the perfect night and that could mean something else. So like a play, every night is different. Just depends on the audience and the actors and right. the amazing set. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that, that all, all that goes together. I think Scarret Badges are one of the smartest things I've seen in the industry in a really long time. Scarret Badges are basically either pins or embroidered patches, uh, kind of like Merit Badges, as they are you know, somewhat named after, from Boy Scouts and, and Girl Scouts and Brownies, and where after you've accomplished something, you can wear the brag tag of the embroidered patch. Some haunts put them on jackets, some put them on t-shirts, some put them on uh, with the pins. I've seen them put them on lanyards. But the neat thing about them is they are very specific in what they are rewarding. And they're haunt-based images that reflect what's being rewarded. It's retention, it is bringing people back, and it's actually giving your haunters, your haunt performers, the ability to share that they are haunt performers. And, oh really, you're a, you're a scare actor. Where do you do that? And then they will insert the name of your haunt right there. So it's also marketing. I've always been a big fan of Scarret Badges. I think they're great. So check them out, scarretbadges.com. No, it is, that is not a paid advertisement. That is just my recommendation. I think it's really cool. ScottSwinson.com When you wrote your, your book, uh, Halloween Nation, did you spend time talking to actors as much as as the people who did the production end of things? I, I, I spoke to many actors and um, <clears throat> some that had played the same role for 10, 15 years. You know, they've developed 
a persona. So it's like, you know, pre-Twitter, pre-Instagram, you could have this, this character that people came to expect and you could you could bring it back year after year and get a following, <laughs> you know? So um, like there was a character, I think it's Spooky World, maybe Nightmare New England, also Lobo, um, Bruce Millett, who'd created that character, I don't know, 20 years ago and just kind of added to it so that when kids went there, they expected to see him and he was really creepy and they loved that about him and he loved it too. Um, so I did, I talked to actors that spent years and years doing the same character and then actors that came in for the fun of it, you know, and didn't realize how many nights they were going to be there and how hard it was going to be. <laughs> Well, that's one of the things we tell our actors. This is going to be the toughest job you're ever going to love yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it's it's hard work doing that night after night after night. But to hear those customers scream or say that I peed myself, oh, it's so good <laughs> when they actually do that. And it's like, that's that re-energizing, re-energization because you are, you know, so tired. It's the end of the night, but you hear another customer scream and you suddenly perk up and you're back into your character again, and you're ready to do it to them as well. So yeah, that adrenaline kind of carries you through Yeah, midnight hits. You're like, Oh man. I was like, Oh, I gotta get up at six o'clock, go to work. Oh, dang it. (laughs) Yeah. That's the hard part, (laughs) but Hey, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, I used to be a, be a hunter. So you only, you know, hunt and go out and shoot a deer. And so, but that only happens so often during the year. So you get up early, you go out late, you spend all your time out in the woods. To me, haunting is close to hunting. You're just, <laughs> you're just haunting victims instead of hunting animals. So Yeah. And you yeah. still can be outside in the freezing cold or the snow. <laughs> yes. We, uh, we've done that too. Yeah. Out. Yep. That happens in Canada mm, a lot. <laughs> One of my favorite um, walkthroughs that I did of a of a haunt was um, Haunted Overload up in New Hampshire, which yes. is an outdoor haunt. <clears throat> if you know Eric and his haunt mm-hmm. on the bucket but, list. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Um, but I went November first, and it had snowed that Halloween. I forget it was in, within the last ten years, but it had snowed, so there was about an inch of snow on the ground, and so I went during the daytime on November 1st, after it was all over and just walked through the haunt by myself in the snow, but all the stuff is still there because it's all still installed. No lights, no people, just this incredible quiet. And then these enormous, you know, monsters that he's created mm-hmm. stuck out there in the woods, just sitting there with this tiny little film of snow on them. It was gorgeous. Absolutely. And eerie gorgeous. at the same time. <laughs> and scary at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, been following his work for a long time because he started out as a home hunter. And I remember seeing the pictures in his yard of the tall creatures. And then we actually did an interview with him. It's been several years ago. Um, but yeah, to build to build those oversized creatures out of wood. He just I think that they did a uh, castle or an old mansion or something. Yeah, there's a um, mansion here, right there. Mansion. Um, I saw the photos of the snow covered. I don't know if he posted them. But is the picture of uh, Halloween Nation, is that from his haunt? It is. It is. Yeah, okay. the cover The cover is. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> the first cover. They just re-released that book and they put a different cover on it, some drawing of a haunted house. But the first one, okay. the orange one, is, is uh, one of his pumpkins. So if they re-released it, were there any edits or updates to it that uh, you participated? Or yeah, maybe I, I wrote it. Yeah. 
I wrote a new introduction for it. Yeah. Because it had been around 10 years. So, you know, stuff has happened. <laughs> Entering the Haunted House. There's a big dark house near here. A very large, derelict house. It's known locally as Hangman's Folly. This old mansion, but that's what it really is, is built on a hill. A strange and barren hill. A place where birds don't sing and animals won't go. Horses shy and dogs run with hackles raised in fright. Nothing much grows there anymore. It is a dank and desolate place where nobody stays for long. They say it's haunted. But we don't believe in such nonsense. Do we? Only the foolhardy would venture there at night. Mind the cobwebs. Stay close together. For this is the edge of darkness, the point of no return. Right. What kind of things have changed over the past 10 years that you've been able to oh, see? Oh, gosh. Um, Besides social media. 
Yes, social media <laughs> has changed. And um, things in general have become more ironic and meta, like costumes. Like, you know, in 1999, we were all talking about sexy Elmo or sexy nurses. And now, you know, it's just gone to the nth degree so that it's not about being the sexy nurse. It's about being the, the thing that could be the least sexy, like sexy Ebola or or, you know, sexy fire hydrant so it's just gone way off into the metaverse of of making fun of what you were making fun of originally so it's Mm -hmm. it's gone further that way um it's gotten bigger um more people Mm -hmm. celebrating it a wider swath of people celebrating it so you know if you're pentecostal you can still do trunk and trunk and treat in your church parking lot if you're a tiny little kid you've got a million pumpkin festivals to go to um the uh corn mazes have just taken off in the last decade or so at least in some parts of the country i'm sure they existed always but there's a lot more of them and they're so intricate now they've got what laser cut designs that are done by i don't know aliens from outer space these amazing things that they're cutting in the corn so everything is just kind of bumped up technically and gotten wider and bigger and also more polarized. And I don't mean politically. I'm. It's like there seems to be more emphasis on a, creating a hot Halloween neighborhood. So you have a lot of people who love to decorate and they get together and they make this fantastic street that kids like to come down trick-or-treating. But then it draws all the kids to that street. And all the other streets that used to get kids are just sitting there in the dark with their candy balls waiting, you know, so it it's good mm-hmm. for some streets and then not so good for others. And so those people stop putting out candy and stop um, putting on their lights and their kids go to the hot Halloween neighborhoods and they go out and do something else. Well, in a way, it's that's kind of it's just swinging. It's kind of disappointing, though, because I would rather have more streets that had houses that did it than one street that had mega houses. I would rather go and tour around. That's what I used to do as a kid. Now, yeah, you know, yeah, I know. Changed. Times yeah. have changed. Yeah, yeah. It's just there's so much good stuff out there that you can buy. You know, the the 20 foot skeletons or the 15 foot skeletons, you know, there's a whole neighborhood by where I live, where everyone on the street, it's a wealthy neighborhood. Everyone on the street has bought one or two of those or the small ones. And they all agree, okay, we're skeletons this year. And everybody in the front yard has a skeleton tableau. It's either the big ones or there's a group of small ones having coffee out in the front lawn or fishing or doing whatever the skeletons are doing. But it's just, you know, it it's almost irresistible. You got to go look at it, right? So it, they draw a huge amount of trick-or-treaters and they just know that. They know, like, you're going to have to spend $500 on candy if you want to live on this street. Yeah. Even growing up, like Daryl was saying, even growing up, there was spaced out, but you had your neighborhoods. You know, you always knew the, you always knew... You know, the the higher end neighborhoods always gave out the full size candy bars and the, you know, the memberships to the gyms. I mean, they would give you coupons for gym memberships. And uh, so we'd always hit that up and we'd always, but we'd hit those first and then we'd go to the other neighborhoods and, and hit them up too. Because uh, as uh, mom did this as tradition, I did this with my kids. As soon as we got them in costume, we went to aunt's, the aunt's house and grandma's house and went around mm. and showed your costume off and spent some time talking to them for a little bit. And then you went out and did your thing, you know? So um, 
And then I, I see more trunk or treats now. Yeah. A lot of people are saying, well, that's taken away from the neighborhoods because everybody's going to the trunk or treats or going to the nursing homes or going through the, you know, the veterans homes and they're getting candy. And then they're not, they're not wanting to trick or treat anymore because the kids are, they have candy. The parents are done. They've been in line for an hour. So they're like, nah, we're not going out. So I, I can see how it's kind of changed for yeah. the better. And maybe for the worst over time, yeah. but traditions. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's what Halloween is, right? It, it changes all the time. It just, yeah. it, it's just always going to change. The one well, thing about it is it's always going to change. And the other thing that's always, that people always say about Halloween is that it's dying. It's dying. This is the end of Halloween. You know, after 9-11, it was too dangerous to go out. It's the end of Halloween. After the Tylenol killings in Chicago, oh, let's shut it down. You know, it's dangerous. We can't do it. And every time Halloween comes back and it comes back bigger and, bigger better. <laughs> and, yeah. and adjusts, it adjusts. You know, if, if you're afraid of strangers and you don't want your kids going out, you go with them. So you see now not just kids at your door, but entire families you say you go to your aunt's house in my neighborhood the aunt is with the kids and the mom yeah. and the dad and the grandma and the grandpa yeah <laughs> uh-huh. i saw i've been seeing more of that here lately <laughs> yeah do you know what causes haunted attractions to shut down before they even get started the top three roadblocks are lack of funding lack of leadership lack of resources As a member of the Haunter's Toolbox, you get instant access to the tools you need to start and grow your own haunted attraction business. To get started, become a member at Haunter'sToolbox.com. Well, speaking of traditions, what are some of the, uh, I know you've done uh, books on Halloween, all the way going back to how Halloween originated. Yeah. So for those people listening to the podcast what are some things how did halloween really get started in this country you mean in america um, well go, go back even, back go back further than that okay yeah. all right um in northwestern europe maybe 2000 years ago the the time of year around november 1st was known as uh Samhain or summer's end it was the time you brought your your livestock back from summer pastures and you built shelter for the winter. So everybody gathered together. It was more kind of like our Thanksgiving. You ate, you drank, you played games. There were contests, you told stories. And because it was this huge, you know, tribal gathering, the um, other world was involved in it. The ancestral world, the world of the dead was involved. And so the folklore around this night was that this is the time where you could go into the other world. You could go into the world of the supernatural and things would happen to you. And you could return from the world of the supernatural, but you would be changed. It was a journey, but it was a, it was a, it was a spooky time. And so when the church came and put holidays, All Saints Day or All Hallows on November 1st and All Souls on November 2nd, All Souls was the time to pray for the dead. So this is another kind of reemphasizing. This is a time about another place, another time, another dimension. This is otherworldly this time of year. And of course it was. It was going into winter. People were going to die. They were going to starve to death. There would there would be disease and famine. So this is a dangerous time. Halloween was a warning. Samhain was a warning. It was like, watch out, watch out. Here comes the dark in so many ways. <laughs> and so um, that was a long time that this time of year was associated with the spirit, the spirit world. 
And so when it came here, which it did with the Irish and the Scots that came over maybe 1800s, 1900s, they brought this kind of folklore with them. This was a night for witches. This was a night for ghosts. This was a night for mischief because the spirits were out. This was a night that you could go house to house and demand things from your neighbors. It was it was a practice in Europe and it became a practice eventually here. Is this is the time that the haves have to give to the have not, or at least be reminded that they should, because if they don't, then certain things will happen to their property. So that was all part of Halloween in Europe and our All Hallows this time of year, this church holiday. And it was part of what they brought here for our Halloween. So first we had folklore and we had food that was Halloween-y. You know, go to the crossroads at midnight on Halloween and you can hear the future whispered in the wind. Um, get a get a black cat's bone on Halloween and it will make you invisible. You can rob a bank. How do you get a black cat bone? You have to boil a black cat <laughs> in a graveyard, hopefully, and pick up each bone and run them through your lips. And the one that screams, that's your magic cat, black cat bone. So you can mm. see that <laughs> there was a lot of folklore and superstition that came around this. And it wasn't just Irish and Scots. It was African-American. It was German. It was the whole melting pot of what America was in the 19th century got into what Halloween was. Um, and the first parties happened late, late 1800s. You know, it was the Victorians that went, you know what? This is a great theme for a party. So let's have a Halloween themed party. And so they, when they thought about Halloween, they thought about Halloween in Scotland. And it was a time for fortune telling and playing games and eating and finding out who you would marry, because that's kind of what it was about in Scotland. And they loved the Scottish version of it. So those first Halloween parties were kind of Scots, Scots influenced. And, um, it just grew like America grew from small private parties to big town wide parties to, you know, what we've got today. Right. And you live on the East Coast, right? Yeah. So you kind of got some of that history there in your area. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We, we've got really old graves out here. <laughs> Where exactly are you living? The, is I'm, it Salem? Yeah, um, I'm about 30 minutes from Salem. I'm close to Boston. I can see Boston from my upstairs yeah. window. I'm in Somerville. Okay. And uh, one thing I always found interesting was the jack-o'-lantern, how the yeah. uh, they, they did the gourds. I guess they did the gourds there, and then the pumpkins were something that was growing around the same time, so they started using the pumpkins. They did turnips over in, turnips? in Europe. And, yep. you know, carving faces into vegetables was a thing on many different holidays. It wasn't just All Souls Day to represent the, the souls who were trapped in purgatory, which some people think the, those lanterns were. They did them um, for, as Christmas and Christmas in Brussels. They did them on different holidays at different times. It was a, it's something that people kind of naturally did was you found a a turnip and you carve a face in it and you put a light inside it and it means something. Um, and here, I mean, we've had pumpkins in this country since day one. They were, they were just nothing but pumpkins. You, you talk to any Puritan and they'll tell you they're sick of pumpkins. <laughs> you know, they're, they were everywhere here. And um, the first people who discovered them as potential heads that you could carve in were kids 
um, early 1800s, you could, they, they, their cousins in England were doing this on Guy Fawkes, but, but it was irresistible. You have all these pumpkins lying in the field. They're left over. You got candle stubs. You've got a knife. In the dark of autumn, steal a pumpkin, carve a face, put a candle in it. You put it on the end of a stick and you float it in front of someone's window late at night so that they just see this face floating in the window, have no idea. And then you take it down and run like hell. So that's that was the thing. It was called the pumpkin trick. And you can see it in magazines all through the early 19th century. And then eventually the magazine started to say, well, this is how you do the pumpkin trick. And this is how you carve because magazines got very instructional after the Civil War with a lot of how-tos and kids' magazines would teach them how to make this pumpkin trick. Um, but they began to call it a jack-o'-lantern because a jack-o'-lantern technically is marsh gas. It's a light that combusts in a marsh or over a graveyard and then disappears. So a jack-o'-lantern is something that you see and you follow and it disappears. And because the pumpkin trick was something that you floated in front of a window or popped up behind a fence and tried to scare someone with, it appeared and then it disappeared. And so they started to call the pumpkin trick a jack-o'-lantern. And then once it got into Victorian times and party times and people used them to decorate, they became Halloween jack-o'-lanterns. But for a while, we were also doing that on Thanksgiving, just because there were so many pumpkins. <laughs> Raven's Hollow, Midnight Syndicate. What kind of stuff do you like celebrating during Halloween? What kind of stuff do you like to do? I I love to go up to Salem. Um, not on Halloween night. It, it's 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 amazing on Halloween night, but it is wicked. You cannot get out of it. You can get to Salem. There's gazillion people there. They're all dressed up in the streets. It's a, it's a blast. But getting home is um, a long proposition. You know? mm -hmm. it takes you half Games hour to are... get there and uh, and three hours to get back. Yes. So I love to go up in mid October because everything's very Halloweeny up there by then, um, without the incredible crowds. And I, I'm home every Halloween for trick or treating that I can be for the kids because I've been in my house long enough that I've seen babies grow into teenagers, and so I've watched those kids grow up and disappear, and then new kids appear. So um, I'm always home to hand out candy. 
I love to hit costume contests. I always hit a couple of haunted attractions when it, wherever I can. It's the October is too short, you know, it's right. too short. And I I work in October, you know. <laughs> so I have I have less time than I would like. So I love it when haunts are open early in September or open around Christmas or do some strange Valentine's Day thing because I'm not working those holidays. Right. They're starting to be more and more of that too. So I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have either of you done that? Because I'm curious as to how it how it is from a production angle or an actor angle. We haven't done that ourselves, but we do have a facility that is available all year round. Unfortunately, tear down and, and building for the new season usually starts in December. So we don't have right now the luxury of doing that. Um, there's possibility that we'll end up doing that in the future. Uh, it is economically beneficial if you can do that. Um, even you know, for for Christmas or for Valentine's Day, have a spooky Valentine's Day or something like that um, to get those customers coming in off season. And then if you do something on Valentine's Day, then you still have enough, hopefully enough time to get your haunt ready for the end of the, you know, for the Halloween season. But it it um, it's it's a challenge because sometimes you don't have the actors available or you don't uh you know, you're already in the middle of renovating for the new season and rebuilding stuff. So you don't have everything together, you know, yeah. but it's if you're one of those haunts that does have a permanent building, you need to find a way to make money throughout the year. Um, yeah. You know, you can't just rely on that one season. So sometimes it's a it's a challenge is like, do we do this or do we do this? And uh, what do we do? Yeah. So I'm wondering about the, the just the feeling of it, like the people, the people who go to a haunted attraction in February, say, is it the same as going in October when you have all this history with this time of year and the, the feelings that come with it and, the, you know, the temperature and the light? Is it? Yeah. Is it a different feeling? See, I've never, I've never attended one either. Yeah, neither have I. So uh, the first, and that we thought about doing a Christmas one. You know, the the creepy Santa Claus and the the vulgar elves. You know, just completely <laughs> flip everything around. But Missouri, we are we're in a non heated building, so. Most of my actors about mid-October anyway are freezing their butts off. You know, we got hand warmers and space heaters trying to keep them warm. So I'm like, man, if I move that to December, it's like, I don't know. But yeah. like Daryl said, if you have the luxury of having a permanent building that's heated, climate controlled, um, and that's why I think a lot of more haunts are starting to utilize that. They're, they're, they're doing the Friday the 13th, the yeah. Christmases, the Leprechaun, you know, the St. Patrick's Days. Uh, I think um, Dark Hour in texas that's right dark hour right yep. um i think alan said he did like 11 different shows one year or something like that just he's like i'll never do it again i think <laughs> i think it was it was so much as production wise i think it was too much yeah because like daryl said you almost have to stop the show or i guess if there's a way to like close off part of the haunt and then redo this side while you're having the guests go through this side or something but um I don't know. I've always wanted to attempt it because I've seen some really cool videos and stuff of people doing them and they look really cool. Spooky, scary skeletons.
Speaking of Christmas stuff, or do you follow any of the Krampus? Daryl's a Daryl's a big Krampus uh, society person. I don't know if you had done any research on Krampus. I have not. I'm just yeah. a big fan for sure. And you yeah. know, someday on my bucket list is getting over to Germany or Austria. Kramp- yeah, Austria. One of yeah. those Krampus friendly places to to witness it in per- in person because I love the YouTubes. I mean, they're just, they're just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get over there too. My son is living in Graz, Austria right now doing his master's degree. And uh, I so want to go over there, you know, to, to visit during that time. Unfortunately, this time and money just don't uh, don't correspond at the same time, but. It's so coolly medieval, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that feels, feels so um old (laughs) well it it is much like much like halloween it has that tradition it's a different tradition and you know if you study some of those things it's happens in a lot of different cultures 
similar similar yeah. things not yeah. exactly the same but there's the the krampus and then the, the grumpus and and all of those helpers of saint nicholas and associated uh things and it's just kind of interesting how in one area it's one thing in another area it's something else but you look at the root of it and it's very similar and that's kind yeah. of like you know these the fall festivals and halloween there's yeah. there's similarities yeah. in between them but they've all been adapted to their own purposes yeah uh, yes and at, at the bottom of krampus it, or at least part of it is this um punishing or or um what we what we have left of it is the Santa Claus. You better be good, right? Yeah. And yeah. and uh, in in New Orleans they have this a similar thing. It's the same thing, but it's it's. <laughs> I think it's not related to Christmas. It may be related to before Mardi Gras. But um, people in the neighborhood will put on these incredibly hideous skeleton faces and then climb in other children's windows and scare them to death and <laughs> it's all about being good but it's just so i don't know local you've been <laughs> naughty <laughs> it's like you know your aunt putting on a skeleton mask and climbing in your window when you're nine years old yeah and i <laughs> I, I have no problem with that doing that like teaching the, their there are reasons that you need to be good because bad things will happen. It's not like we actually do them to our children, but there are consequences for being bad and stories like that, that I'm just trying to think, I know that happened to us as a child and it wasn't Santa's just not going to bring you anything, but there was bad things that were going to happen, but I can't remember exactly what they were. Right. But it was just that, no, you have to be good because otherwise bad things will happen to you. You know, you'll be taken away or, or whatever. And uh, yeah. it's, it's interesting how that has permeated cultures. And we've kind of lost that now. You know, now if you're bad, um, you have to go sit in the corner. And it's not right. the same Think thing. Think about what you've done. Yeah. <laughs> right. Self-reflection. Yeah. Just shows you how times have changed. But when you're reflecting and your reflection disappears in the mirror, that gets scary. <laughs> <laughs> then you're a vampire? Possibly. 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 <laughs> I just want to pause for a moment and thank Philip from the Haunted Attraction Network. If you guys listen to this podcast, you'll love everything that Philip is doing over at the Haunted Attraction Network. That's hauntedattractionnetwork.com. There's weekly podcasts. Philip also does the Seasonal Entertainment Source magazine that is free to subscribe to. Yes, it is a real magazine to your mailbox. Him and Scott Swinson also do Green Tagged. If you're subscribed to the Haunted Attraction Network feed, then you will get it in your podcast player. So go on, check out everything the Haunted Attraction Network has to offer. And make sure to sign up for their email newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com slash newsletter. Now, since you've written the book, um, which is was 2011, um, things have changed a lot, especially on the haunted house scene. What kind of changes have you seen um, in in haunted houses themselves? Well, I have not been to an extreme haunt, you know, a real experience fear haunt, but uh, that's certainly a change. Those that I know of did not exist all that long ago. They've just kind of 
maybe there was a guy who did something very strange, you know, an extreme in one place. But now it seems to be a lot more is that people people are interested in experiencing real terror in in a haunted entertainment um, and our paradigm. It, it doesn't strike me as entertainment. It strikes me as something else. <laughs> um, but I think in general, people are looking for like real, real, real experiences or some people are looking for real terrifying experiences to push themselves kind of like, you know, doing a triathlon or climbing Mount Everest. There's this new, there's this sense of I've got to do the most intense thing, you know, that I can find. That was that was new to me. I haven't done it. I haven't talked to anyone who's done it, but I've read about it. Um, I've seen haunts. The um, haunts used to a while back pretty much follow movies and classic movies. So you know, you have the the cannibal scene. You have the mad mm-hmm. scientist and all that. And it seems to be breaking out of those tropes and and so you're not sure what you're going to see in a room it doesn't have to be um there are lots of circus rooms but sometimes there's not a circus room there's something that you never saw before like you know man-eating trees or just things that come out of people's imaginations that seem like it's gotten it's kind of broken up open and gotten more creative and audiences are willing to go along with that um haunt actors have gotten really good (laughs) uh training training yeah maybe Mm -hmm. maybe has there been there's been a lot more training yeah yeah Yeah, i would guess that um the haunt experience seems to me tell me if if this rings true for you but it seems to be both outdoors and indoors and i don't just mean a weight line but the uh, haunted attraction will sometimes have an outdoor component added to it like a corn maze or some sort of outdoor thing you have to crawl through. Um, mm-hmm. That seems different and totally fun. Yeah. There's been a lot of, a lot of different people just switching things up, you yeah. know, trying to utilize the space that they have. Maybe they had a couple acres of woods they'd never used. They want a lot more um, theme park style attractions. Like we have five events. You're going to be here all night. We have yeah. vendors. We have music. We have other ways. We have axe throwing. We have, yeah. you know, you have some more, fires. some more stuff. Yeah. Hang yeah. around. Yeah. We're going to call your name. We're going to call your number. You wait that way. You don't have to wait in line. Yeah. Time ticketing, um, come out and spend the whole evening. So people are starting to make more money on merchandise and extra ticketing upgrades, more attractions, five minute escape rooms, just little anything to keep the people on property longer right. to make a whole night of it. Yeah. So. And it's exactly one of the things that we've done at our haunt Edmonton is The first year we had just a 12,000 square foot building uh, that we had our haunt in and a parking lot outside. Well, the second year we turned that parking lot into the waiting area, dressed things up a little bit, changed the inside show. By the third year, we had a full-fledged cemetery out in what was the parking lot. So now customers come in, they have this entertainment area and two different haunts to go through um, to keep them there longer and spending more money. And, and entertainment, it's not just a 20-minute 
haunt anymore and waiting in line for an hour for a 20 minute haunt. Um, you know, during COVID times, we went to time ticketing and that works out really well because now you let in a bunch of people and you can entertain them and they finish their stuff and then they go along and the next group, next set comes in and there's a few that carry over because we've got food and beverages as well. And then the two different haunts, we just keep them there for longer times. So it's fun. Yeah, yeah, smart. It does mean that it's tougher though, because now you have to keep these people entertained for an hour, but (laughs) it's the way it goes. Does that mean more roaming actors or more specialty acts like fire eaters? We've had, um, we've had fire in the past. We've had, we have um, eight or nine roaming characters this year altogether. Not all of them are out there at once. Some of them work in, in shifts or take breaks. Um, and they do different things, uh, not just static people. But yeah, we've had had a bunch enter outside our entertainment outside uh, in different ways and, and uh, just keep them entertained. Mm-hmm. Sam Haynes.
can I ask another question? You sure may. <laughs> are, yeah. are, are the ages changing? You know, um, is it a lot of teenagers and some older people or is it, are there families coming? Are there more people who are in their 30s, 40s and 50s coming? I'm going to say all of the above, but we do get a lot of tweens, teens and, and you know, young adults, 20, mid-20s sort of thing. Um, and it depends on the night. But there are lots of, there are horror fans of all ages. So horror fans of any age, they're the biggest thing, right? There's often teens and tweens that, oh, this is a night out and we want to get scared, but don't know a lot about horror movies. Maybe you've seen a few more modern horror movies that aren't necessarily all that horrible. Um, And then there's, we always have, you know, a little little older crowd as well. Uh, We do have people that come in families, um, especially, you know, fathers or mothers bringing the the group of teens and all their friends. And, uh, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll send the group of teens in and they'll, mom and dad will go in afterwards just so they can actually enjoy the show. (laughs) And and our, uh, group i was surprised when i first started the dead factory we were kind of marketing to the younger crowd we've kind of been known for more scare we're not extreme but we're really scary tight spaces things that shock you you know just things that they're not expecting and so with before the teens even get in there they're already freaking themselves out so it's (laughs) like we have a lot of uh 20s 30s 40s 50s i've even had 60s 70 year old um, people that just love it, but they're more of the take your time, check out the scenes, you know, they're really into it, like the design aspect of it. Yeah. Um, but we have, we have our teens too, that have come through in a big group and they're hiding their head and tucking, tucking <laughs> down and they're on a line. And so trying to teach your actors how to scare different type of people, um, is always an evolving thing too. So yeah because you never know who's coming so it's like okay well if you can't scare them you got this chance to do this if you can't do that just you know you don't have to scare everybody all the time yeah. and a lot you of people say them, right as long as they get their money's worth out of that room so if you can scare one of their friends hey that at least you're scaring that friend and it's still making that person like oh you got you you got you <laughs> I like the people that come back, get her, get her. <laughs> <laughs> They're always pointing somebody out. Yeah, you know? really throwing their friends under the bus. <laughs> yeah. But that's when it's fun is if you hear somebody's, you know, name, then you can go ahead and tell your actors is like, in the next group, there's somebody named Bob. Because <laughs> yeah. he was the one that was picking on poor Michelle. But hey, now you know Bob's name and uh, you, you get to play with him and Michelle has a laugh. And then you scare her in the next room. It's like, there's somebody named Michelle in the room after or in the next group to the next room. So everybody gets on their walkie. Bob's coming through. He's got the red hat. Okay, we got him. <laughs> you know what I've I've missed, and I think I I hope COVID didn't kill it was some um, zombie crawls, which had just a big heyday. You know, eight to ten years ago, even five years ago, there were lots of zombie crawls, and and people loved them, and it, you know, whole families would go zombie up and march down the the street or through the shopping mall or wherever it was. They still happen um, on occasion. I don't really? know if they're as popular as they were, though. Yeah, I I have not seen any up around here after, uh, oh. after COVID. I wonder if the uh, I wonder if the Walking Dead brought all that out when the you know the Walking Dead yeah. um, 
series came out and zombies became a huge thing. I don't know if that's, that was part of that or not. They had the zombie 5k runs. They had the zombie, you know, um, the walks and the crawls and, but you're, you're right. I haven't seen them as much as they used to. Yeah. Zombies are, are, you know, I miss them. (laughs) I put a spell on you. Thank you, Max. For that marvelous introduction. (laughs) I put a spell on you. And now you're mine. (laughs) You can't stop the things I do. I ain't lying. No! No! Don't look at him! Been 300 years, right down to the day. Now the witch is back. And there's hell to pay. <laughs> I <laughs> on you. Good joke. Happy Halloween. Thanks a lot. No, man, I'm serious. You got to end your life. So what's one of your favorite Halloween creatures? Dracula, Frankenstein, werewolves? What do you oh. what do you, what do you Oh my? Yeah. It's like picking a picking a favorite, isn't it? I know. Which You're one having... of your kids do you love most? <laughs> <laughs> do you dress up? Do you dress up I as a do, certain but character? I go, I, yeah, I go classic witch. I mean, I have a whole closet of witch wear. So at any yeah. moment I can I can do that. And actually will on Friday, there's on Saturday, there's a, <laughs> there's a festival at the property where they filmed Hocus Pocus. And so mm. it's, it's a, it's a witch fest and I will, I will go <laughs> in costume to that. that nice. That it, it's tons of fun. There's a million Sanderson sisters in, in this thing. They're just, everybody's dressed up like yeah. that. Yeah. But as far as creature, you know, there's been so many vampire types. Uh, you'd have to say vampire, but which era? <laughs> right. 
I would say Nosferatu would be my okay. my go-to vampire. The old black and white. Uh, the, old, the, the fingernails. The fingers. Which, uh, the fingers, yeah. which, you know, if you watch like daytime TV talk shows, lots of women are wearing those nails that are like three inches long. And mm-hmm. all I can see is Nosferatu. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So besides dressing up as a witch, um, what uh, what's the favorite Halloween costume you've ever worn? Oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> I do have a really excellent zombie bride, which um, uh, it's just really good. In fact, I won three contests with it um, in, in recent years pre-COVID, but um, it, it's nothing fancy, but the makeup is, is pretty good. And um, I've got these wonderful shoes that I've ripped up and the toes are painted red, so they look like they're bleeding. It's kind of a nice zombie touch. So, and, and lots of torn veils and, you know, bugs and everything. <laughs> but it's a good costume. I won scariest, scariest costume at a, a, at a club once and second place in a very large costume contest in my hometown. Right on. Uh, very proud of that. Carriage Ride, Midnight Syndicate. Thank you. 
speaking of your hometown, what kind of Halloween stuff did you do when you were growing up? Okay, so this is, um, uh, I grew up near in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is kind of on Long Island Sound. So it's Southern Connecticut, and it was a suburb. And so it, and I grew up at the time where trick-or-treaters did not have parents with them. Um, and it was, it was what you probably did as a kid also. You were set free for the night. There was no curfew, mm-hmm. which is just bizarre because my parents were not, you know, people who would not impose curfews. They would do that. I mean, as a high school kid, I had to be in at 10 o'clock. So we're not talking about crazy parents who didn't know where their kids were, but they just let us go. I mean, the age of seven, my brother was five, you know, bye. You know, I, I'm a cat. He's a robot. Or we're out in the street as long as we can stay standing. And believe me, we were out as long as we could stay standing. As long as you could carry that pillowcase full of candy. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. It was um, absolutely wonderful. And, you know, there, there was nothing like it. And, the, and I'm sure that that's what stuck the Halloween knife in me in the very beginning was just the, the darkness, the temperature, the shadows, um, and the complete freedom. You know, later on, I got into the imagination, the creativity of the holiday. But at the very beginning, it was just the freedom and the absolute like unbelievability that you could go to somebody's house and they won't give you candy. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know these people. How, how, how is this yeah. happening? <laughs> it was like magic. <laughs> it, was. it really, it really was. And, you know, I can't recreate that. I couldn't for my daughter because it's a different time. It's a different place. I'm in a different city. Um, So, you know, we didn't let our kids out by themselves. And so I had to kind of lurk behind and and watch as she went up and down until she was a teenager and she could go out with her friends. But so I wasn't able to recreate that for her. So did you and your brother ever fight over the candy over who got which chocolates or candies? You know, it was just the two of us. So everything had to be divided, even Stephen, right down the middle. Didn't matter if I hit a few more houses than him or got different things somehow. We would sit there in the living room and actually, you know, divide it. Even Stephen, every single piece of Turkish taffy. You know, I got one, he got one. I got a fireball, he got a fireball. So um, just always even. Two kids. Everything gets even. It's like and then what work. happens if you, yeah, what happens though if you had like a third one? Is that the, the parents? Bad <laughs> parenting. Parents, parents. Parents. And they did, you know, like every parent, <laughs> they do that. I didn't know until. Oh, yeah. Older. You don't like these ones. These are too salty <laughs> for you. Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you seen those mean YouTube videos where the parents pretend that they eat all the candy and they don't? And the oh. kids come back and they're crying and they're like, oh, we just got it right here. <laughs> I know. It's it's heartbreaking. It is. You eat all my candy. <laughs> Pretty funny. It is funny. It is heartbreaking, but it's funny it at the same yeah. time. You can't stop watching them. <laughs> Yeah. Cruel and unusual punishment. Yep. Can blame. Was it uh, Jimmy Fallon for that? Was that his thing? I, th- I think I'm not yes. sure who is one of the, one of the evening show hosts. Oh. So I like watching them go through haunted houses and get scared. You know, that's another thing. Jimmy Fallon went through a haunted house and got scared. They don't, <laughs> they don't know. They don't know how to react. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It's fun. Lonely Waltz. Destiny Beard. At Midnight Syndicate.
We talked about uh, some of the books that people can find you. I know all your books are, I think, are on Amazon still. Mm-hmm. You can buy your books. Um, Halloween Nation. We've got Halloween, an American holiday in American history. Uh, Halloween How To. Uh, there's a Witch's Night Before Halloween, which is kind of like a poem. It's like, a child, uh, Yeah, it's a kid's book. It's an illustrated kid's book. Kid's book. Uh, you did one on jack-o'-lanterns, the history of the jack-o'-lantern, I think. Um, any other books you want to tell us about? I know you have an upcoming or book any, on Halloween or any upcoming books or anything that you want. Does that be Halloween? It's whatever you're working on. Or? Yeah. Well, the, the book that just came out is a collection of short stories uh, called unaccustomed to grace. Um, I started working on short stories about eight years ago and put together a collection and um, was able to get it out there in the world. And I'm, you know, it's, it's not Halloween. It's, it's just me. So they're a collection of 13 short stories, all, all different. And um, that's the one I'm kind of excited about now, although it's October. So <laughs> right. Super excited about Halloween right now. And I was just thinking before I was talking to you guys that I wrote my first Halloween book. I had just had a baby. And um, when I, <laughs> I'm a grandmother now. So it's uh-huh. been a long, long time that I've been doing this. It's been such a great ride. So you so might besides, have some. Okay. I was going to say, say besides so- Unaccustomed to Grace, what um, what other kind of books have you written? Have they all been Halloween or have you ventured into other personal interests um they have all been halloween my my books except for this last short story collection but i also um i wrote for the theater for a long time but um in the past in the past not that i wouldn't again but so theater like doing uh developing stories and stuff yeah yeah Yeah. developing scripts and plays and things like that that's good it's awesome i think it it goes well with halloween 
with the performance of Halloween, um, you know, it's there, there's a lot of similarities there between theater and Halloween. Right. When you said that earlier about haunts are starting to get away from the horror movies aspects and starting to create their own characters, a lot of haunts are starting to develop their own stories and their own backstories for those characters and progressing that attraction and, you know, into different ways. They've taken maybe the main characters and creating stories and sub stories within those characters. And they might release this version this year. And then something he's gone mad or they've the, evolved. The yeah, patients the have taken really. over or the virus has broke, broken out in the, you know, so it's, they've taken the same characters and same story, but they've all, they've twisted it a little different. That's so, neat. which, yeah. And they say some, some, Customers don't really care. They just want to go and get scared. But then those uh, those hardcore ones that are following you throughout the year, they're like, oh, I wonder what Dr. Foley is doing this year or, you know, or whatever character you have. So it's good to keep your fans um, involved like that, too. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So I think back in the JC haunt days, yeah, it was just boo scare, right. you know, but I think that's one way attractions have evolved as they've started to focus more on their characters and their story. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. They're becoming interactive, interactive theater in a way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Much more, much more theatrical in every way. I mean, it's just gotten kind of wonderful that way. It's sight, sound, smell, temperature, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, I think the customers are demanding that too. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've been to they've been to Halloween Horror Nights and they've been to Not Scary Farm and like they come back home and like, well, we want experience that here. So and that's forcing everybody to kind of step up their game, yeah, to uh, to kind of meet that expectation mm-hmm. too. So exactly, the monsters. <laughs> Another question, if you don't mind, if do you find that you're spending um, a lot more of your budget on on big props that you're buying, like at the national trade shows, or are you are you concentrating more on actors and on the performance, or on the the things that you need that people expect to see, or techniques, um, or lasers, or fog, or or you know? our haunt where you always need something to wow the people. Um, we don't have permanent permanent characters that last year after year after year though we've used the same masks different costumes different type of characters but we do have a lot of the big wow items um we have a lot of silicone masks we have lots of um uh some of the still and or the uh, animatronic props um but we use them to fill out the theme there's a lot of decorating that goes into um you know doing all of the cobwebs in the spider room next year it's not going to be a spider room it's going to be something else uh so we put away that that one animatronic or uh, 
case in point, we had uh, um, an actor Metronic, which is one of the, the operated ones that slides out on a, on a rail mm-hmm. and plays some sound and stuff. And it's been three different characters, the same prop, but we've done different things with it. Uh, then we have five or six more of those that play different seasons and do different things. You know, the big pumpkin or the big fish, you can only use those in so many places. Uh, but hey, well, a couple of years down the road, we'll end up bringing bringing those ones back and and developing a scene around them uh, in a different physical location within the haunts. So yeah, it's kind of like when I was a kid, mom and dad would pack up my toys and put them in the closet and pull them back out about every six months. Hey, you got new toys? Hey, yeah, <laughs> forgot about those toys. <laughs> I think I've seen this before. Yeah, but... that <laughs> <laughs> smart parents. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh we um we have a lower kind of a lower budget mid budget haunt. Uh, we focus a lot of on our actors um and our sets. We have a few animatronics uh, pop ups, more distractions. Um, but we don't have any of the over the top stuff. We would love to have them. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, but we try to focus on masks and costumes and fog and lighting. Uh, and really put the, the training into our actors too. Um, and of course, making all of our sets pop as much as we can. And I think that's stepped up the haunted attraction game is things have gotten cheaper, like LED lighting and um, MP3 players and TVs and projectors. So all that stuff has gotten cheaper, which is allowing that to open up. You know, you can buy um, projections off of, online and download them and put them on an sd card and stick them in a projector and you have an effect you know and the props the um they've always had like fry prop controllers but the, the controllers are getting easier just plug and play stuff and so it's youtube videos you can't figure it out on youtube i mean there's a way to make an animated zombie you know yeah. you can figure it out so it's, one of the things is the people i think that has changed a lot is the people who are making their own props uh there's more and more people that are making it and more and more people that are stepping up to you know high beautiful looking props way back in the days of just the the halloween list you know you you had to know programming and and air control and stuff to to make some things and now there's more and more people that have that knowledge and they're passing it on to to the younger generation because they're getting other people in with it more and more classes are you know make and take so people are learning how to do tombstones and skulls and and uh just the things that people make now um like great stuff should be a national sponsor for halloween honestly (laughs) because the stuff that people make even if they're only making intestines and and uh you know lumps of charcoal and stuff and and the blob um the skill level that these people are doing with that it's all it is is a is a you know a two-part foam or a spray foam and people are turning it into absolutely incredible creations the talent out there is it's amazing and it's grown so much because you know as you were saying earlier about the the people who are supporting each other um most of the haunters who are making props are supporting those and learning and helping other people learn as well and the talent is just getting better and better and better and then there's you know 30 times as many haunts because now 
there's 30 times as many people that know how to do this stuff. And everybody's, it's just, everybody is raising up to a, to a higher level, raising that bar a little higher. Yeah. And th- there's generations now of people who have come up watching really high-end horror movies and have seen like images that I might not have seen as a kid. So those people have those things in their mind and they can create and build on mm. a much richer visual language. Well, you know, now you can just throw more. on a, you can throw on a VR headset and you can be immersed in the, in the game, in the yeah. movie. It's crazy. It's like, yeah. like, where was this at when I was 14? I don't know, but this is uh this is something new. <laughs> like we have this uh, with the resident evil vr game i haven't even tried to play it yet i'm the resident evil game itself kind of freaks me out so i'm like because i have a 14 year old and he's like you want to try resident evil vr i'm like i'm not sure <laughs> i'm not sure i'm ready yet but maybe one day where can we where can everybody find you in your books or if they want to contact you and all right. You can always find me at iSkull Halloween, I S K U L L Halloween.com. That's my website. All my books are up there and you can you can find them on Amazon. You can Google my name and find <clears throat> my contact information or find it on my website. I'm happy to talk to anybody. Okay. Well, we hope you have a happy Halloween and you get your witchy groove on. Yeah. Coming up soon. So you too have a good season. Yes. Some rest. It's uh, yeah, that's, that's important. Take care of yourself. That's the main thing. Yeah. (laughs) Pace yourself. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you guys. Um, I wish you all the best. Next time we won't wait 10 years to do it. Okay. Yeah. Right. (laughs) right. Bye. Thanks a lot, Leslie. See you later. Okay. Bye-bye. This podcast episode sponsored by Scarit Badges. Get your Scare Badges at ScareBadges.com. Also sponsored by Haunter's Toolbox. Take your haunt to the next level at Haunter'sToolbox.com. Thank you for listening to Haunt Topic Radio. Please leave a comment wherever you found this podcast. Each comment you leave will help spread the word to other haunters around the world. See you next next time. time. Today's episode was edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope, and original music composed by Chris Thomas. Support for today's episode comes from Gantam Lightning and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. From Dark Hour to Netherworld, Super Mario Land to Hagrid's Bike, Gantam goes where other fixtures can't. See what you're missing with a free demo? Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com demo. The HAN team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Until next time, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.